This is Happen to Your Career, episode 136, Negotiating What You Are Worth. It was, it's very you know stable and solid, and I think there are a lot of benefits to that. But for me, I wanted to I wanted to believe that there was a meritocracy somewhere that I could get involved in, where um, you know just just as you have so adequately captured, I, I could happen to my career instead of the other way around. Hey, HTY Sears. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, this is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other people's stories. We get to bring on experts like Dave Stahoviak, who hosts and produces a top career podcast that does things like, I don't know, dispel the myth that leadership can't be learned, or people who have pretty amazing stories like Jared Chivers, who refused to settle and and he made a huge move all the way to Nashville to transition from a job that no longer fit his needs or his families. And then we talk to people that are just like you, who've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. They're people that are just like our next guest, Josh Duty. And when you, when you listen to this, I think you're absolutely going to love it because this is the first time, although I, I absolutely love negotiation. It's one of my favorite things. I know it's sick. It's sick. It, but it is really, truly one of my, one of my favorite things to, to do. Uh, we built an episode with the help of Josh all about negotiating. Uh, and it, it, we give you a step-by-step approach. We talk about this. Josh, Josh gives you that step-by-step approach to negotiate for a raise or promotion or even a salary offer. And we talk about how to determine your target salary or your job title. We talk about how to deliver your pitch for that raise, promotion, or salary requirement for the new job offer. And then we even talk about what happens when your negotiation doesn't turn out the way that you want it. I want you to get over your fear of negotiating because guess what? Uh, the last seven years that I, I was not working for myself, the last seven years that I was working for other other companies, I made an extra just over $300,000 because I negotiated. I want you to be able to do stuff like that too. So consider this my gift to you with the help of Josh. But let me let me tell you about him first of all. He was at the, he was at the University of Florida. He graduated in 2003. And although he didn't negotiate, for his first couple of jobs, he quickly realized that he left a whole bunch of money on the table and then started, rectified the situation, began negotiation, doubled his salary in three years, and he took everything that that he'd learned during those experiences. And that's that's what we talk about. He put it into his book, Fearless Salary Negotiation, which I, I think that uh, that you'll love. And I want you to take a listen to our conversation as we put together a definitive guide. <laughs> we'll call it an audio guide <laughs> for getting your raises. All right. 
But I'm really excited to be able to have our guest on today. This is this is somebody who has an expertise in an area that I absolutely love. It's something that's been very, very fun for me. And I realized when uh, when we initially started talking to him, when my team started talking to him back and forth, that we'd never done a full episode on negotiation. Uh, negotiation for raises, negotiation for uh, salary. You know, we we hadn't done anything along those lines. So I want to I want to welcome to the show Josh Duty. Josh, so glad to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. Yeah, and you know, we were, we were chatting a little bit before we before we hit the record button and everything here, but um, you've got you've got a really interesting background too for how how this came to be. And now you've got this Amazon bestseller book that's, uh, that's out there. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the book and, and particularly some of the stuff that's in the book actually. And, uh, and all that, but long before any of that happened, long before it was written, long before it was published, long before it, uh, it did battle with, uh, <laughs> with somebody else who's been on the, on the podcast here too, uh, Olivia Gamber. And, and you guys duked it out for uh, top spots for Amazon bestseller at the time. Um, there's a there's a really interesting story there. So I'm I'm curious, like where where does this start for you? Yeah, it it is. I think you're right. To, to me, at least, it's a really interesting story because it's not one that I would have written for myself for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think it sort of starts all the way back, you know, right after I graduated college, maybe even in college. Um, I think now that in this moment, I remember, you know, as an intern. Um, you know, three years into school, I'm, I'm interning at the company that I would eventually get a full-time offer from just thinking, I don't know if I want to be an engineer for the next 30 or 40 years because I studied uh, engineering as an undergrad student at the university of Florida. Um, and then I began doing that job full-time as an electrical engineer. And as I looked at career prospects and the way um, that the industry that I was in, uh, working for department of defense, which is, you know, very government like, um, it was, it's very you know, stable and solid, and I think there are a lot of benefits to that. But for me, I wanted to, I wanted to believe that there was a meritocracy somewhere that I could get involved in where um, you know, just, just as you have so adequately captured, I, I could happen to my career instead of the other way around. Um, and so you know, I spent a few years doing that, uh, realized that there was a nice safe path to retirement there, but that, that was boring to me. So I, I dropped out of electrical engineering at a giant department of defense firm and moved to project management and consulting for a 30-person software company. <laughs> um, uh, just completely uh, flipped the script uh, kind of on my own career there. And then um, over the years, just sort of was really self-aware and intentional with my career moves. And I think that people I knew um, recognized that. So early on, um, you know, in my early 20s, I started getting questions from my friends and family and people that knew my friends about, hey, I just got this job offer. Can you help me talk through it? Or uh, they offered me this salary and I don't know what to do with it. Or I'm feeling really unhappy with my manager and I don't know how to address that. Um, and so for a number of years, I just sort of answered the questions. Um, and then you know, fast forward several years through some different jobs. Um, I spent a long time in um, what's called the talent management or talent development industry, yep. which is a software industry focused on um, software to facilitate um, uh, corporate learning, uh, performance reviews, goal setting and management succession planning, career planning, and uh, most importantly for my book, compensation planning, or how companies decide uh, how much money they can afford to pay and who gets what and what salaries are and all that good stuff. So plotting through that career, 
um, I kind of started getting to the point where I wanted to uh, make things myself and see again that the meritocracy idea kind of popped in my head. I said, you know, I'd really like to see what if I can make something. So I started trying to make things. I started trying to build web applications and write and do all these things. And then um, around uh, 2014, 2015, um, I started thinking about writing a book about my experience with career management and how um, I made moves that made me more money but got me more opportunities and more at-bats and that I had used to help friends and friends of friends um, do the same in their careers. And so that's when I started really writing uh, Fearless Salary Negotiation uh, at the beginning of 2015. I had it written in the can um, when I left my day job in September of 2015, um, basically because I realized that I couldn't work full-time and give my job the attention that it deserved and um, self-publish a book and do it correctly, uh, leading to the, the sort of battle for top spot that you mentioned uh, in some categories on Amazon. Uh, that doesn't happen if I don't have you know, a lot of time to invest in the launch process and publishing process for my book. Uh, and so I think that brings us pretty close to today, <laughs> uh, where I've got the book out and, and now I'm talking to you about the book and the process and, and some of the details of the book and, and my story and all that good stuff. What, I'm curious, what made you decide to write that book as opposed to, uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of different spins that you could have taken on it just from what you described with, hey, my friends are coming to me asking about some of these different, some of these different things. Um, it sounds like not all of that was necessarily salary. Sometimes it was other, other things related too. So what, what led you down the path of saying, look, this is the thing I want to, this is one of the things I want to be known for. That's an excellent question that um, you have you have uh, sussed out something um, that was a very interesting part of the evolution of the final book that I published. And that is that I actually started the first draft of anything that I wrote yeah. that I think I could say eventually became this book was um, essentially a memoir about my career. And I was trying to be kind of creative with it. Um, and then from there, I realized <laughs> nobody wants to read a memoir about my <laughs> career. Um, and so I started trying to, you know, um, extract, um, career advice that I could give to people, you know, maybe the, the uh, I've heard this several times lately, but, you know, writing to Josh 10 years ago, what, what could Josh have used 10 years ago yeah. that would have helped him make better decisions or more advantageous decisions or find better opportunities. And so the first um, title that I chose for my book was actually called, this may sound similar to something that you're familiar with, Take Control of Your Career. Um, <laughs> Take Control of Your Career, a Career yes. Management Guide. And the first chapter that I wrote was actually um, uh, How to Impress Your Boss with Awesome Emails, what I called it. Um, and I ended up spinning that out into its own product later. Um, but you know, as I worked on it and started writing, um, two things happened. One, I noticed that um, I thought the more tactical stuff that I could write was around interviewing and salary negotiations and raises and promotions. Um, I also bumped into a friend of mine. Um, his name is Josh Kaufman. Uh, he wrote um, a, a very successful book called The Personal MBA. That's an excellent, excellent book if you are uh, interested in business or thinking of starting a business or just want to understand business better. Um, and so he's been very successful in the publishing industry. And so I sat down with him at a conference and we talked for an hour or so. And he helped me understand that um, I don't know if, uh, you know, essentially a textbook on career management is something that people will really gravitate to and buy. Um, so let's talk about what people will buy. And the answer what turned out to be, I think, um, stuff that helps people make money is easy to sell to people, um, especially if I can really demonstrate um, that there's weight behind my promise of, of helping people negotiate better salaries. And so I honed in on the salary negotiation interview, tactical stuff that helps people 
get paid what they're worth. Um, and so that then became fearless salary negotiation. Very cool. I, I love, I don't know, I'm a sucker for a good evolution story. So <laughs> that, uh, that totally fits right in. Now, with, with fear, fearless salary negotiation, you, uh, what is, so it's been out since December here. That's right. I'm curious what you have learned along the way as people have gotten the book, read through it. Uh, what, uh, what ended up surprising you as you were, as you've gotten feedback and, and, you know, interacted with people that are actually trying to use this, use this material, use this content, use what you've written in the book. You know, um, I'll just tell you the first thing that came to mind. This is, this yeah, is not a yeah. question I've gotten before. So it's, it's going to sound a little salesy, but it's the truth. So the truth is that the thing that surprised me most was getting, you know, emails from strangers who said, Hey, I was just hopping on a plane. Um, I got your book on Kindle. I was looking for something on salary negotiation. I read the book on the plane, got off the plane, lined up an interview that week and, um, made 20,000 more dollars. <laughs> um, like the, I think that the reality of the fact that it actually is in the wild and strangers are purchasing my book and therefore giving me money for my book and then using it to make a lot more money themselves, even though that's why I wrote the book still surprises me even today. Um, <laughs> it, it's just, I, you know, theory and practice, right? Like I, I believed it when I wrote it and I thought it would be great and it did well when it launched. And still I'm surprised when someone says, yeah, I read your book and it really helped me. Thanks so much. And I'm like, wow. Uh, okay. That's, that's a real tangible um, you know, needle moving event for somebody. And that's a, it's cool to be a part of that. Very, very cool. So put, here, here's what I want to do. I want to take some of our listeners situations and then kind of, kind of have you guide them through how they can do that. Cause there's really, there's really kind of a couple of different places here where we can kind of draw the dividing line, right? One is, one is if I'm moving to another job, like there is a separate set of, uh, a separate pathway almost because then I've got to go get another job and you know I've got to interview and then you know the things leading up to that and and then you know we, we get the job offer and we negotiate on the job offer versus I'm already in a job and I want a razor promotion so I'm kind of drawing the dividing line there so I'd love to tackle those sort of one at a time here is that okay yeah it's perfect. And I think you've, uh, it's funny that you say that because literally last night I spent three hours putting two buttons on my website and they said, I'm starting a new job soon and I'm staying put <laughs> on one of the pages on my site. Right. So you, you've exactly, you've drawn the line exactly where the line should be drawn there in terms of the two situations that most of my uh, readers and people that I help are in. Cool. You must be starting to segment on your website then way to go. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but <laughs> So, okay, let's start with, with, uh, first things first, then let's say that I am, I'm currently in a job and you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not going perfectly, uh, or maybe it is going really, really well, but I really know that I could be making more someplace else, but I would prefer to prefer to stay here either because I enjoy it or because at the same time, I'd love, you know, the opportunity to kind of renegotiate with my boss and, you know, maybe part of it is I want to get paid more. Maybe part of it is I want to be able to focus on other things while I'm here, whatever it is, all that can lead me down the road of negotiation process. So where, where do I start? What does that even look like when I'm just having those thoughts to being able to actually do something with it? Right. So, so you, I, I think you sort of implicitly also now um, segmented this group of people into um, two potential groups of people. One of them is um, somebody who wants to make more money and some, and the other one is somebody who wants 
um, a better title or more responsibility or to be recognized for additional responsibility that they've taken on. Um, And so both of those processes, in my book, I write about them totally separately. One is a raise and one is a promotion. A lot of times they go go hand in hand. I think that most people have experienced them together. Um, So the processes are extremely similar but slightly different. Um, so the, the first thing that you have to do to get started on either of those or both is to set your goal. So if you have decided that you want more money or you think you're underpaid, the first thing you need to do is set your goal, which I call your target salary. Um, and you do that by, um, doing some basic market research, um, estimating your market value, trying to determine how much value you add to the company that you're working at. And the whole perspective there is thinking about things from a business perspective and a manager's perspective. So the the example I like to give is if you go to your manager and say, I need a raise because I just bought a new Ferrari and I can't afford the payments. Um, that is not a compelling business case to a manager to pay you more money because you have not demonstrated that you're helping the, the, the company do the thing that it probably exists to do in the world, which is to make a profit, to make more money. Unless, and so, of course, you work for Ferrari. <laughs> Unless you work for Ferrari, and then you've got like trickle-down effects where they're encouraging their people to buy cars, right? <laughs> Um, exactly. So if you work for Ferrari, um, this, this example is not for you. Uh, <laughs> not there's a interest. To you. But Want everybody to else out there. Okay. Everyone else in the world who is not currently buying a Ferrari, which my guess is most of the people whose ears that we're, we're in right now are <laughs> not in the process of buying a Ferrari. Um, that those people, uh, need to, need to set a goal and, and a realistic goal that reflects the value that you add to the company. Um, and, and so that you're pursuing something that makes sense to the company. Um, for a promotion, it's very similar. Your goal is a target job. Um, it's the new role that you want to occupy. And it's, again, you're setting your target job. That's your goal. And so um, you're either setting a target salary, which is a dollar amount that I think that I should be paid based on the value that I add to the company, or um, a title and job that I think I should be in based on the responsibilities that I've taken on and the value that I'm adding to the company. So that's where you start is set that goal. Okay. So now that now that we've got that goal set, so let's say that you know, I, I make, um, oh geez, so I'll, I guess even throw out my situation because I, I kind of went through the same process probably like eight years ago the first time. And I think at the time I made, I don't know, like 75,000 bucks or something. And I wanted to make a hundred thousand. Okay. So say I've got my, got my goal set and what do I do now? Guide me through Josh. Sure. Yeah. So the the first thing, again, is that goal is hopefully based on some real world data. So you're not just pulling a number out of the air. Um, It's based on market value research that you did, which is, you know, I'm talking really basic, you know, half an hour or less of research on payscale.com and Glassdoor or whatever sites help you um, determine what your salary uh, should be for your um, your role and your responsibility level and your skill set and experience in your industry. And then your job um, with both a promotion and a raise is to now articulate um, the justification for your goal. So again, uh, the business value, the value that you add to the company, in particular for a raise, um, you know, 75 to 100, really what you're saying is my salary of $75,000 was set sometime in the past. Um, I think based on my research, based on what I do for the company now, that my uh, value to the company uh, reflects a salary that should be closer to $100,000. And these are the reasons that um, that statement is accurate. So these are the things that I have done to add more value to the company. For example, um, I'm managing more people now. I manage more portfolios. I've taken on more responsibility in terms of business operations. Uh, I'm responsible for bringing more business in. Uh, I'm, I've helped the company become more efficient by creating this process or this tool that we use internally um, to save time or save money. 
And so you're specifically articulating what I call accomplishments or the value add things that you've done to justify the delta, the change in your salary from 75 to 100 since when your salary was set at 75. So you're saying in the past year, 18 months, whatever, I've done these additional things, taken on these additional responsibilities, and I think those responsibilities are worth another $25,000 to the company. So that's the next thing that you need to do is you know, actually justify that goal and make your case. I was sure that I needed to make changes in my career, but there were so many options that I was stuck. Cindy is a chief financial officer for a small nonprofit in Fresno, California. While completing the exercises, she made a discovery. What I knew about myself in advance was, I need to look for improvements. I need to make those improvements. And I also know I don't do maintenance. What I didn't know, there was an underlying theme between the two. The reason I need to make the improvements is because I work hard not to get bored. It was an epiphany. However, it seemed that she was the last one to find out. I took my shiny new discovery to my family and they were happy to validate, yeah, that's the reason that they thought I did these things. Without the exercises and the figure it out eight day course, I would remain blind to a clarifying truth that everyone else thought that I already knew and therefore they weren't talking about it. I'm now concentrating on work in a consulting industry that will be project based so I can complete things and move on to the next thing, alleviating the boredom. The HTYC eight day figure it out course helped Cindy realize something that was obvious to everyone but her. What could it do to help you discover so that you can make an impactful change for your life and career? To take the course for yourself, text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470. Or just simply go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. I get to... Uh... You know, when I'm, when I'm talking to our listeners or our customers or students, I get the question all the time of, okay, so I get that. I get that I need to justify that to the company. I get that, you know, they need to understand what they're getting, why we're doing it, why I would even ask, et cetera. But how do I do that? Like, what does that look like? Is that me going and having a, uh, you know, a conversation? Do I take them out to lunch? Do I write a 472, uh, you know, deck PowerPoint, 472 page deck PowerPoint or something like that and bore them to death. What, what do I actually do to be able to deliver that? Is there a right way? If so, what is the right way? Right. So I, I, I recommend sort of a two phase approach. So once you've kind of gathered that data, once you've got your goal, once you've got your list of accomplishments, I also like to add in what I call accolades or they're sometimes called social proof. So in other words, you know, if your manager didn't notice all the great stuff that you've done, other people probably have clients and colleagues. So collect some of those. So you're sort of collecting all these data points and things that you've done. And then your question is, OK, well, I have this big ball of information. I've got a goal. I've got a target salary of one hundred thousand dollars. I've got a list of all the great stuff that I've done over the past year that's above and beyond you know, my old salary and responsibility level. How do I package that up and deliver it to my manager? And so the, the answer um, for my method and, and the way that I teach my uh, clients is a kind of a two-step method. The first thing you actually do is write an email, um, uh, which, uh, by the way, uh, at the end of the show, we'll talk about this, but this is part of the little package that I put together um, for uh, HTYC listeners to, to download and kind of do this on their own, right? So you write this email, um, which is your raise request email, and it captures all of this stuff, but it does it in a very kind of ordered way and allows you for the first time to take that big ball of information and sort of unpack it, organize it, and put it on paper so that you can actually see your case on paper. 
And this is sort of a watershed where you can look at it and say, yep, I've made a really strong case for this race here. I've demonstrated that my goal is a reasonable goal, that I've added value to the company, I'm doing these things, and now I've got it written down. But you're not going to send that to your manager. Um, this is your sort of practice run. You'll use that email later. Um, you'll go talk to your manager in a one-on-one uh, schedule. Hopefully you have regular you know, one-on-ones every week or two, and you'll schedule a meeting with your manager. And then in that meeting, you'll say, hey, uh, you know, I've been doing a little bit of research. It's been 18 months since uh, I had you know, any kind of significant uh, market adjustment or salary adjustment. I'd like to talk to you about adjusting my salary to $100,000. That's based on my market research. It's based on the value that I'm adding. Let me tell you a few of the major projects that I've handled in the past year and a half and other ways that I'm adding value. And I just wonder uh, if you can help me get that raise to $100,000 and when we can expect that to happen. Um, and so that opens that verbal conversation with your manager where now you can have a back and forth and your manager can give you feedback on the case that you've built. Maybe your manager will totally agree. Maybe you'll have some points of disagreement, some notes on how you can get to that 100000 So once you've had that verbal conversation, then afterwards you will follow up with the email that you, you put together earlier as your kind of practice run. And the reason you're doing that really is so that your manager has your case written in your hand, in your words, available to pass along through the approval chain. There are a number of people who probably need to approve a raise like that. And so uh, you're better off making your own case the best that you can. So you send that to your manager to say, hey, I'm just following up on our meeting. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, just wanted to follow up on my request and kind of summarize it here for you in email. Let me know if you have any questions. Looking forward to talking to, about this again and in my next one-on-one. And then you send that email off to your manager and the process of approval hopefully begins. So two other, two other questions. What if, I'm, what if I'm not yet having one-on-ones or we're not having regular one-on-ones? Right. So that's a case where it's, you, you should be. So that, that frustrates me as a, as a formal people manager. It oh, makes yeah. me very oh, frustrated yeah. to hear that, that question. However, it is uh, the reality of a lot of businesses, especially quickly growing ones. So you would reach out to your manager and say, you know, you, this would probably be an email. Say, hey, you know, I'd like to meet with you sometime in the next week or two. Um, I've been, uh, you know, I have some questions about uh, my current pay and would just like to run some things by you. So you want to give them a heads up. You don't want to totally blindside them. Um, you should tell them what this meeting is about, but you don't want to start getting into the nitty gritty until you have that conversation. So you just have to set it up, um, which uh, this is one reason that I do like to have regular one-on-ones is it makes it awkward for the employee to have to sort of, you know, suddenly reach out and schedule something the manager probably should have scheduled previously anyway and do it um, when they're asking for something. Um, so if you're a manager and you're listening to this and you're not having regular one-on-ones with your employees, what are you, doing? <laughs> you should start. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> that channel, that communication channel should be open at all times so that I'm going to see you every Tuesday or every other Tuesday. Yeah. And then maybe one of those Tuesdays I mentioned that I'd like a raise, but this isn't a shock to anyone because we've been talking every, every other Tuesday for the last six months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and vice versa too. If, if you're not, if you're not receiving those one-on-ones with your manager, then you know, get those, get those schedules. I've definitely found no other better way to solidify priorities and therefore look amazing in your manager's eyes. Plus at the same time, really be able to have the cheat sheet to over deliver on what, uh, what the priorities are at the same time. So, um, okay. So no one-on-ones get one-on-ones now that, uh, now that we've got that meeting scheduled now that, uh, now that we, have had that conversation now that we've done all that. What happens if, uh, if we say no, what happens if we get a no? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I, I like that you asked it because, um, it's something that I think people should be thinking about because, um, my philosophy on this is 
if you do this correctly, if you follow the process that you and I just discussed for the, you know, how to ask for a raise in a way that makes sense to managers, then the outcome will be positive for you in some way. The, the most positive way is probably you get the raise you ask for or more, right? That's what we all hope for. But sometimes the manager's gonna say, we can't do that. And hopefully they'll give you at least some reason why. Sometimes the reason is something like, we just don't have any money in the budget, we'll reset the budget in six months, let's talk about it then. Or sometimes they'll say, I hear you and I hear your request. However, um, I disagree that your target salary is the right salary for you. And that opens the door to a conversation about why, right? So you've written a case, you've taken the time to put together this case, this big ball of information I referred to earlier. And now your manager is telling you that you've essentially overestimated what your salary should be. And so hopefully you can now ask for feedback on that. Um, one of the best ways to ask for feedback is to say, okay, I understand what you're saying. Um, I still feel like I should be around $100,000 in salary. So can we talk about specific things that I need to accomplish to justify that salary and a timeline on which I should accomplish those things? So in other words, let's get me a goal plan. Let me, let me work with you to build a development plan with the goal being Josh is an employee um, or Scott is an employee that has $100,000 salary um, as, as a nice milestone that can be reached. Um, and so from there, you'll get, you know, the, we're talking about sort of a tree with branches, right? And we yeah. just jumped out on a branch. From there, you might get good feedback. Okay, it'll be six months and you need to do these three things. And sometimes the answer will be, I don't see any path to you getting $100,000. And that's sort of a gut check moment, I think. Um, it's possible that you have just overestimated your value um, with your skill set and experience. Um, full stop. That, that happens sometimes. Um, and it's good to know that. Um, more likely, if you've done your research well, you're what I call other valued, which means that you have correctly um, uh, assessed the value of your skill set and experience in your industry. However, the company that you are working for doesn't value them the same as your industry. Um, and so, uh, you know, for example, maybe you're just a really excellent customer facing support person, but your company is outsourcing all support roles to a different company or um, a different country, and they don't need um, you know, onshored, really great customer support people because that business function is being outsourced. So now your other value, the company doesn't value your skill set according to the rest of the industry, which implies that you should probably look for work elsewhere if salary is really important to you. So um, I think a lot of people are afraid to get that answer, but I, I think that that is the best, po even though nobody wants to hear that, like I really think that's the best possible scenario if they feel that way because wouldn't you rather know that, you know, now rather than two years from now when you're really frustrated and you thought that it was going to lead to a, I don't know if I it was going to lead to a promotion or increase or whatever else it happens to be. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that that is a great situation to be in. Um, obviously I'd rather have a raise, but uh, the alternative is at least know where I stand. I totally agree. I, I think it, it's, it's hard when you don't get the result that you want. Um, but the, the reality is the reality and sticking your head in the sand or, you know, the way you described it, it kind of, I started thinking it was like a Schrodinger's uh, raise, right? Schrodinger's yeah. cat. Like <laughs> the, the bottom line is either the raise is out there for you to go get or it is not. But you can't know most of the time. You can't know until you actually go open the box and try and see if there's a raise inside. Um, and so, um, you know, by by avoiding that conversation and waiting for the raise to come to you, that doesn't change the calculus from the company. It doesn't change what reality is, which is either the company does value you at the number that you came up with or they don't or can't or won't. 
Um, so I think, you know, my whole philosophy when I coach people in my book, more information is better. The more information you have, the better decisions that you can make with your career. And if you're in a situation where you can't get the salary that you think you deserve, either you need to acquire more skills or get more experience, or you need to go find an opportunity where you can get that salary. But you can't really make that decision in an intelligent way until you get the information you need to make that decision, which you get by asking for a specific raise to a specific amount for specific reasons. Well, I think that that's true for all negotiation of any kind, whether it be salary or, or otherwise, that the more information that you have is better. I mean, truly, just about anything is is negotiable with the right time or place or person. But when you have more information in addition to those things, then you usually end up better off. So absolutely, absolutely love that. I It, it begs a couple other questions too, I think. So what what would you say is different then in your mind for getting the promotion instead of the salary increase? As we so, yeah, the, it's, it's a good question. There, I really struggled with this when I wrote the book. Um, the, and um, I, I, what I wanted to do is write a chapter on how to get a promotion and a raise, you know, as a one unit. Yeah. And what I found was they're very similar and they're also very different. And so if you look at the two chapters side by side, they're very similar chapters. The content is different, but the, the, the process is very similar. Um, and so the difference is that for a promotion, what you're doing is you're telling the company um, the, the title and the uh, level of acknowledged responsibility that I have right now is not consummate with what I'm actually doing. And so my philosophy with promotions, um, similar to a raise, is you do the job and then you ask to make it official. Um, and there's an anecdote in my book where I, I um, was really fortunate to sit down with the CEO of a pretty big public utility company for 90 minutes a couple, you know, several years ago. And I asked him, how do you promote people? How do you find the people to promote? And I was expecting him to say, I look for people with great potential or you know, up and comers. And his answer was, I look for people that are already doing the jobs that I need done. <laughs> and as soon as he said it, it made sense to me that managers aren't promoting based on potential. They're promoting people to do the jobs that they need done right now. And they don't have time to be, you know, essentially gambling or investing or however you want to think about it yeah. in, you know, potential. And so your job when you're um, getting a promotion is to say, well, here's my current job. Um, I'm a software developer and my target job is senior software developer. And so the question is, what's the difference in responsibilities between software developer and senior software developer? And you can usually, you know, literally go on maybe the company's career page, look at the job description for the first one, look at the job description for the second one draw a circle around the differences, right? The things that have bigger numbers, you have to manage 10 projects instead of five, or you have to mentor two people or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and you say, well, here are the differences between my current job and my target job. And now I need a, a plan to do those differences, to actually do the job that I'm targeting by accomplishing the things that are not part of my current job, but that are part of my target job. You do those things, you write them down. Same thing with the email, you write your accomplishments. In this case, your accomplishments are the things that your old job title does not require that your new uh, target job title does require. You, uh, you know, accumulate those things together into the big ball of data, and then you go talk to your manager and say, hey, um, I'd really like to be promoted to senior software developer. Um, I'm already doing the job. Here are the three new projects I took on in the last six months. I'm mentoring Frank and Tom, who are junior developers. Uh, what do we need to do to make this, this title change official? Um, so you're doing the job, and then you're asking to be promoted into the job that you're doing. Perfect. So along both tracks, whichever track you're on, my experience is that this can be outside 
a lot of people's comfort zone. Having these types of conversations, even if you've already got good one-on-ones, you've got a great relationship with your with your manager, I found that a lot of people are a little bit afraid to have these types of conversations for one reason or another. And because of that, the only statistic I've been able to find is only like 13% of people actually ask for raises in of any kind. And I tried to trace it back to where, where that statistic came from. I was unsuccessful for who knows. So somebody might just make that <laughs> out. But, but it's the only thing I could find out there. So, But very, very few people actually have these conversations. And then the, even the ones that do, as near as I can tell, um, are still a little bit of afraid. So even though your book's called Fearless Salary Negotiation, there's still a little bit of fear there. So what advice do you have for people that, are experiencing that fear and wanting to have these conversations. Like how do you, how do you, how do you get past that? How do you move past that? I think, you know, so I, I come from an engineering background, so I look at things as engineering problems. And if you read my book, you'll see, you know, I think it's pretty obvious, maybe, maybe not, but I think it's pretty obvious. This book was probably written by an engineer or somebody who has a math background or something, right? It uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not really complicated, but it's very, there's very little fluff. I'm not interested in fluff. It's not a typical business book. Yeah. And it's very much like step one, do these things. All done? Okay, step two, right? And so one way I think that you overcome that fear is by understanding that you're following a process. And so I think a, one of the biggest fears, there's there are fears of bad outcomes or other things that I address in the book, but the biggest fear is unknown. You know, I don't know what this process is like. I've never done it before. I'm afraid to try something new. And so that's a lot of my goal in my book is to just lay it out and say, look, this isn't rocket science. You know, that every every discrete step is very simple. Identify your target job. What is the job that you want to be promoted to? That's a very easy thing to do. Okay, compare the job descriptions. Current job to target job. What are the differences? You write them down. Okay, so now I need to go do those things. For each one of those things, figure out how you can do those things. And so I think a, one way to overcome that fear is by just uh, you know allowing yourself to just follow a process instead of um, this idea, right? Getting a promotion is not an idea. It's not a, a mega event that happens only to the select few, it's a process that you can follow that's a collaborative process with your manager um, that hopefully will end in a promotion or a productive conversation about how you get promoted. So I think overcoming fear is a lot easier when you just lay out um, you know, all of the steps, right? Um, I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and, and you, you know, I'm told that I'm grounded or something like that and I wanna know how many days, right? The first thing I wanna know when I'm grounded is how many days am I grounded? I wanna, I wanna get rid of the unknown. <laughs> and it's the same thing with promotions, you know? How long is this gonna take? What do I do next? So follow the process and it becomes a lot less scary, I think. Very cool. So let's, let's shift gears then a little bit and let's talk about what happens if I have a job offer. You know, I've already gone through the interview process. We'll even skip, uh, skip that part and everything like that. But let's, let's say that I have a job offer on the table and I'm really looking to get paid uh, what I'm worth or the particular target that I have in mind. So what, what do I do? Help guide me through this piece. I've, I've now gotten this job offer. What on earth do I do? Right. So the first thing that you should do, um, and actually I, I would step back just before the job offer line that you drew there, is um, set what I call your, your minimum acceptable salary. So this is very similar to setting your target salary, which you kind of alluded to, um, yep. with a raise. Yep. Um, you do market research, you know, what, what do I think my market value is? And the, the real question that you're asking here is a little bit more subjective, and it is, what's the minimum salary that I would accept to do the job as I understand it? Um, and I think it's very important to do that before you get the job offer, 
because this allows you to have only positive results. Either you're able to negotiate to a point where you get the job making the minimum salary that you described, or you don't get the job because they could not meet the minimum acceptable salary to you, and therefore you're not doing a job that would have paid less than you required. So either of those I think is a good result. So once you have your minimum acceptable salary, then you're going to get your job offer, evaluate it, and um, you're gonna counter offer. Either your counter will be your minimum if they didn't offer enough to meet your minimum. And again, you know that it's okay because if they'll either accept your minimum and you get in at the minimum or they say no and you don't take the job because they couldn't afford you. Um, or you'll counter offer somewhere above. And my range for countering is uh, 10 to 20% um, above the offer. Um, uh, this is based on a lot of things that we kind of passed over with the interview. But, but the bottom line is that you have not, if you follow my process, you have not disclosed your current or desired salary, which means that you're offer that you get from the company is based on their rubric for how much they would pay someone with your skill set and experience in your industry. And so by countering, you're just taking that number that they've kind of already set and you're trying to figure out how much they're actually willing to pay. Um, so you counter 10 to 20% above, which is basically just how badly do you want the job and how badly do they need you to do the job is what you're evaluating there in that range. Um, and then you see how they respond to your counter offer. What if I want to make uh, much more than 20% above what they've offered me? That would, so it's a good question. It should be captured in your minimum acceptable salary, right? And so, so it, almost always. So if you, it's, um, that's a tricky question because want to make is such a, you know, I want to make a million dollars this year, but I, pro I probably won't because um, I, I don't generate enough value for the world yet. Um, but uh, that should be captured in your minimum acceptable salary. So if you're that far off, then the chances are that their offer actually falls below your minimum. And so you would just counter with, well, uh, you know, we're pretty far apart here. I'm sorry, but I can't accept the job for less than your minimum acceptable salary. Let's say $100,000 or whatever that is. Um, so that would be, it would be pretty unusual that um, you want to make a whole lot more than they're offering. Uh, and if that happens, it's because they're just too far below your minimum. Um, which could mean that your minimum, you know, maybe you misestimated your market value is possible, but the bottom line is that you've done intelligent research and set that number with a process. Um, so you, you should be able to trust it. So that, that is, uh, I'm, I'm curious what the, what is the broadest, and I know this is not, I'm not asking for average and I'm not asking for anything like that, but I'm curious what the, what the broadest, um, negotiation you've seen or you've personally experienced was Ooh, Meaning in terms from, of yeah jumping so we've had a we've brought in a bunch of you know our students on the on the show and stuff like that and we've had some we've had some pretty broad ones like even once that surprised me is a you know is the, the person structuring those offers on the other end and everything for years and years and years um, and I got to see a lot of stuff that way and got to see a lot of people ask for a lot of different things that way. But, uh, I'm, I'm just curious in, in your, in your experience, what's the, what are some of the larger ones for you? In terms of like the Delta from what I'm making yeah, right now exactly. to my next job. Exactly. Oh goodness. Or um, in the negotiation itself where, Hey, I, I offered this, but I asked for this and then I come away with this, the Delta there too. Yeah, my deltas on the negotiation, the actual negotiation are usually relatively small. And the reason is that, again, my, my process is designed to elicit an offer from the company that's in the ballpark of what they're willing to pay. Um, 
it's not anchored on your previous salary, for example, and other things that could drive it down. Um, so, so usually, you know, the range, I think the top end, gosh, I don't even, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm guessing it's somewhere between 20 and $30,000, cool. um, uh, in terms of the Delta, but you have to remember, you know, I work with a lot of software developers and people who make, um, you know, they, they work on the coasts. <laughs> so, you know, that nominal number is not a huge number necessarily. Yeah. 10% of, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or 10% of 150 or $190,000 is different than, you know, 10% of $40,000. That's right. But, but even still, um, the process that I use is designed, it's really designed to kind of minimize that delta from the offer to the final negotiated value, because the offer is designed to get the best offer that, that they will make, and then to, to push them into their um, top of their comfort zone, the company's top of the comfort zone in terms of what they'll pay. Um, gosh, and delta from previous job uh, to next job, I don't have those numbers in front of me either. Um, I'm guessing mid five figures, um, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just I curious. Know. No, I'm not like holding it to you and say, Josh, you said this. You told all my listeners that they were going to get $47,000 increases. Everybody, and, and they everybody. only got 37. So like, <laughs> let's bring you back on the show, public flogging. But um, no, not at, not at all. I was just, I was just curious. Um, yeah, you know, ten, tens of thousands is extremely common. Um, and that's also usually sort of the range that I usually think about, well, how well, how much more than your offer can we do? Um, and also the Delta from your old job to your new, and, and it's usually, you know, um, not usually, but the, the numbers that the numbers that are good result are tens of thousands of dollars. I, I love that you said that though, because I share that with people all the time that that is very fit, not, not very easy, but fairly easily possible and I think a lot of people don't believe that, though, is what I've experienced in in a number of cases. So, what uh, for somebody that's wanting to do any of these three things that we've just talked about? Any, any final advice for them? I think I think the advice is is to um, trust the process. Even just on this this recording, if they listen to it a couple of times, there's enough in here for somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to go try and get a raise. It's there. Um, and so just follow the steps, um, and, and use the process, um, whether it's interviewing or negotiating your salary or asking for a raise, use the process as the thing that helps you to kind of keep that fear at bay. Um, I, the number that you quoted earlier, 13%, um, I have no idea if that's accurate, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's accurate. Um, you know, this is based on my own personal experience and my experience as a manager. People usually don't ask for raises. Um, and they're often leaving money on the table by not doing that because companies just don't have enough time to evaluate everybody's salary relative to the market all the time. They just don't have the resources to do that. And so just by following the process and trusting the process, you can, you can put yourself in a position to, uh, to make more money and to get more information about what your value is on the market. Love that. Absolutely love that. I would absolutely recommend that people go check out the book, uh, it's definitely on Amazon. Is it any place else too? Yes, um, it, you can. So it's on Amazon. You can also buy it directly from me, where I also sell video courses and coaching and some other good stuff at fearlesssalarynegotiation.com. Um, and uh, for HTYC listeners, I also set up a page with some free goodies at fearlesssalarynegotiation.com/slash/htyc, and that's where you can get. Um, a guide to estimate your market value along with a worksheet to do that and a guide um, to request your raise, um, the whole process that I described here and that email template that I mentioned in terms of uh, building your case on paper 
So that's fearlesssalarynegotiation.com slash HTYC where they can get all those goodies. That is awesome. I'm very appreciative that you've set that up. Go there, check that out, and we'll put all of these links on the on the show notes page as well. So you can go over to Happen Your Career, uh, check the podcast button, and find it right there. Hey, thank you so much for making the time and taking the time. This is this is this is good stuff. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. So thank you for helping me make it happen. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Scott. It was a whole lot of fun and. Hopefully, um, your listeners uh, will agree. (laughs) I I think that there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think people are going to enjoy this one. Hey, if you absolutely love that episode, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to happenyourcareer.com slash FSN, like as in fearless salary negotiation. And when you do that, you're going to be able to get some of the goodies that Josh and I talked about, plus a few more. So you can, the other way that you can you can find these is you can go straight over to our show notes. Go happentoyourcareer.com slash 136. That's happentoyourcareer.com slash 136. And you're going to be able to get all the things that, uh, that we talked about, plus be able to get access to a few extra few extra little tools to be able to get yourself promoted. Josh has put together actually a sweet, a sweet seven, uh, seven step course that helps you get your promotion. And I want you to get that plus plenty more happen to your career.com slash one, three, six, and take advantage of it. Why not? All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of happen to your career next week on the show. We've got a guy who explored franchises, wanted to build his own business, and absolutely was unsure the right route to go, really fell in love with a, with a particular type franchise. He's got an amazing story. Take a listen for what we've got coming next week. I stood up, the light bulb went off, so it just wasn't a good environment for me. Nobody really loved what they did. It wasn't gratifying. It was basically doing finance spreadsheets sitting in a cubicle watching people get laid off and whenever someone gets laid off that means you're getting more work and not getting compensated for it i didn't know this was a michigan wolverine show all right that and plenty more next week on happen to your career thank you so much for taking the time making the time and hanging out here with us i really appreciate it and i will see you next week all right adios i'm out Thank you.